So, some old school technology, technology in the 80s. Before playlists, before ripping and burning CDs, there was the glory of the mixed tape. <laughs> I miss you. A little bit. I, I put together my Christmas playlist on Spotify, and if you don't know what Spotify is, you are missing the greatest thing in music since sliced bread. I put together my Christmas playlist on Spotify, about 60 plus songs, in about 10 minutes. Remember back in 1995, a friend of mine was the first person I knew to have uh, software in which he could rip and burn his own CDs. And the thing took all night to operate, but it was so exciting to be able to create our own CDs. But there was nothing, nothing like this, that painstaking process of hitting play and record simultaneously. (laughs) So you didn't have any gaps. Or if you wanted to up the difficulty, just a degree of difficulty a little bit, you had to see if you could get that needle hovering over the record as it was spinning and drop it right in and hit record right at the same time as well, too. There was nothing like that painstaking process of creating a mixtape. Now, as a child of the 80s, this was the mixtape, the musical consummation of every crush that I ever had. And given my completely futile romantic life in the 1980s as a teenager is the closest thing I got to any kind of consummation whatsoever. (laughs) Making a mixtape. Brings me to this. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for your service. If you can see that up here, it's a burned CD called The Best Guess Project. To Ken from Teresa, March 23rd, 2004. Aww. She made me that on the occasion of my 34th birthday. We just met a few weeks before. We were dating back then. We're married now. And I got easy because her birthday arrived before mine. And so when, of course, I made her a burn CD, all I did was I put together the playlist of all the songs that we've been listening that we really loved together as we were falling in love with each other. And so it was easy for me. Teresa took it a step further. There's not a single artist on here. I'd heard of some of them, but I wasn't actively listening to many of them. But Teresa knew that I particularly liked power pop. Power pop, for those of you uninitiated, is kind of like punk rock with more harmonies and more melodies. And I was listening to a lot of uh, alternative country at the time as well, too. That's kind of like country without all the fluff of Top 40 Nashville, all that kind of stuff. And she put together this playlist called The Best Guess Project, believing that I would like the kind of music on here. Well done. You got it. See, her knowledge of me, her awareness of what I liked, informed her choices. Because it was still a guess. She didn't know that I was absolutely going to like what was on here because I hadn't heard much of it before. Here's the point. We increase our likelihood of success, of growth, of change, of development especially in our spiritual lives, if we increase the power of our awareness of the raw materials that we're working with, if we want to change our lives, really change, alter, grow our lives in some substantial way, first what we need to do is know what we're working with, have an awareness of who we are. This is where this New Year, New Message series comes from, good looking out. Some of you may know it's a slang term you may not be aware of. Basically what it means is this. 
Good looking out. Thanks for being aware. Gratitude for knowing what's going on. Because this time of the year, we know for many of us, is a time of the year of change, growth, possibilities, reflecting on the nature of time itself, reflecting on the ways in which our lives might change from year to year, whether you make formal resolutions or can't stand formal resolutions. But here's the thing with many of us, and this has been part of my past with resolutions and still until I started making them differently. So many folks' resolutions are discarded before kickoff time of the Super Bowl. We barely get into February before we've already let go of some of the ways in which we might want to change our lives. To me, that's because many folks, and I have done this in the past, have skipped a basic step. Skip the basic step that comes before any real discerned, mindful action, which is first just simply being aware of who we are, what our intentions are, what we really yearn for, what we really want. Thoreau, our great thinker in our tradition, one of our great thinkers and teachers in our tradition, said this way. He said, beware of any new venture that requires new clothes. (laughs) Think about it. I mean, you know, if you really, really think about it, you actually don't think about that much. It makes complete sense. Think about, you know, all the marketing we're getting right now. You know, I get a lot of spiritual kind of magazines and offers. And so, you know, I I get it. Oh, maybe you want to buy these new prayer beads or maybe you want to get a new Zafu, a new cushion, or you want the the new yoga mat you've been you know waiting on. Now's the time of the year to get it because it'll help you with your practice. Maybe, you know, people go out and they get those new sneakers because this is the year they're really going to commit to running. All these things things, nothing wrong with them. But what Thoreau is saying is that beware of any new venture that requires new clothing. He's saying have some insight into who we are and what we're working with before we dive right in and make a whole bunch of investments in the form of something rather than first knowing the content in a deeper way of who we are. He's saying look before you leap. And even more importantly, it's important to take that leap inwardly that doesn't appear to have an outward action associated with it, but it is still a leap nonetheless. That leap inside to our own experience of paying attention. That leap of not just leaning forward into our lives into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing after that, but sticking with our experience and leaping into it, even if we don't know exactly what's arising for us in this moment, but we open ourselves to it. I mean, I know this. I know this from my heart. I know it as a person who's in in recovery. I know that leaping is thrilling. But falling on your face is not nearly as thrilling. (laughs) Leaping without looking is making a choice without wise discernment. I mean, ask any skydiver. Any person who's ever jumped out of an airplane, that is thrilling. That leap, that falling, it's great. But ask any living skydiver what they did beforehand. They checked their pack. They made sure that they had the necessary inventory they needed to take that leap and to take that risk. I think this is the reason that sometimes we can find ourselves maybe year after year feeling kind of trapped perhaps by our life circumstances, but perhaps by something even a little more insidious than that. Our own kind of emotional scripts, our own actions and behaviors and patterns of thoughts that 
we wish we could be rid of, and yet they just continue to abide and continue to stay around. I think that the reason for this is that, especially in a spiritual community like this, a progressive spiritual community, in which we do not stress a dogma that you must believe or your eternal soul will be imperiled, is that actually deeper than any kind of religious dogma or deeper than any kind of intellectual dogma is emotional dogma. The kind of doctrine that is so deep within us we can barely recognize that it's part of our operating system until we start to recognize that, hey, I'm just not as happy as I would like to be. Deeper than any other kind of dogma is the emotional dogma of the heart that keeps us from investigating with clear sight our own lives. That's the way with that kind of clear sight, open-hearted exploration of our own internal experience. That's the way that our goals can truly be the most fruitful. Because I have nothing against goals and I have nothing against resolutions. But to ask a deeper question about our goals or resolutions is important. Are our goals grounded in something larger than just achieving a particular outcome? I mean, let's use the number one resolution that we are being, all of us being marketed to at this time of the year. It's time to get healthy. It's time for us to get healthy. Now, you might think you're already healthy, and that's great, and you may not being like, you may not like being marketed to about the fact you need to be healthy. That's also great. But that's the number one resolution for people this time of the year. And so you decide that to get healthy this year, you are going to run the Wellsprings 5K. Yes, on my birthday, on my 43rd birthday, not the best guest project, but I'm getting the 5K this year for our, for my birthday here at Wellsprings. Thank you for giving that to me. I helped set the schedule, so I gave it to myself. (laughs) The team did, actually. So let's say you want to be healthy this year and you're going to run or walk because you can also walk it. The Wellsprings 5K or the 5K isn't enough of a challenge for you. You want to run a 10K this year. You want to run a marathon this year. You want to run an ultra marathon this year. And you take that leap and you start out running. And the first day out, you're feeling great. You're in a half mile in and you accidentally slip or maybe a little patch of ice and you break your leg. Is your resolution over? Only, only if your resolution was based on running a particular race. If your resolution and our resolution is based in a deeper intention to be healthier, well, that can be done in a whole variety of ways and is not dependent upon a particular outcome. This is the issue that I think many people have with resolutions is that it's totally based on the future. It's based on an outcome that is going to happen versus having an intention. When we have a clear intention, we're about what we're doing right here and right now, and what we're feeling right here and right now. To really know what is the healthier, more wholesome, more healed and healing thing for us, it means that first we do have to open our awareness and get deeply in touch with what is here before we ask ourselves what's next. Another way to say this is that before We ask, what if, which is a great question. It's more important to ask ourselves and open to this question. What is? What is here for us right now? What is here for you right now? This is the reason we're offering the 30-day spiritual practice challenge and all of these four-week springboards, these small groups for spiritual growth. It's the reason that we're offering the mindfulness retreat. All of these things are about the power of good looking out. 
of offering ourselves gratitude for paying attention to our lives. All about increasing awareness of our experience and our intentions. And if we do this, really commit to this, then what is certainly true is this, is that our lives will change. Because we will be embracing what is unfamiliar. We will be embracing our capacity for change. I have to tell you, it is one of the most gratifying parts of my job. When I have asked someone to do something that scares them so much, they get an upset stomach. And they say yes anyway. And then afterward, they come back and they tell me, thank you for forcing me and giving me the opportunity to go beyond this. To go beyond, as they say, thank you for pushing me beyond my comfort zone. And into that place where the magic happens. It can be really easy in our lives to dream the place where the magic happens. To merely think about the place where the magic happens. To envision the place where the magic happens. And while that's important, there's a risk there. Because while we dream the place where the magic happens and don't release ourselves into the place where the magic can happen, we're probably idealizing the place where the magic can happen. We're probably creating an image or a projection of the way that we think it will be. But when we really do engage to live beyond our comfort zone, we get to know the reality of the place where the magic happens. And very often it is scary, and very often it is unfamiliar, and very often it is the place we have always yearned to be. But that means we know it in reality, not we know it ideally. I mean, today is, for those of you who know, this is the 12th of the 12 days of Christmas. Christmas is not one day. It ends in this day of what's called Epiphany. And Epiphany literally means striking appearance, a manifestation of something divine, revelatory, that allows us to see. Now, in our tradition, if we really mean those words that we sing during Holy Now, the song that we probably do more than any other song here at Wellsprings, if everything is Holy Now, what it means is that Epiphanies are not past tense. Striking appearances, manifestations of the nature of spirit and soul are right here and right now. But we can't make those epiphanies happen. The most we can do is prepare the fertile ground of our hearts and our lives so that we are paying attention so when the truly marvelous announces itself to us, we're not just looking down into our hands or into our technology and it passes us right by. We're paying attention so that we're able to receive the revelation that is going on every day. When I think about the difference between engaging the real place where the magic happens and the discomfort and uncertainty that comes with it, I think about this movie. I think about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Now, I like the Indiana Jones movies as long as they're odd-numbered. The last one, the most recent one, that was an excuse for Steven Spielberg to make more money, and he has enough money already, he didn't need to do it. The second one, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, is one of the most racist movies I have ever seen. It really is. It's, it's god-awful. I mean, the way he paints the entirety of Eastern traditions and the Hindu tradition, he has apologized, I know, for making a version of Alice Walker's The Color Purple, which he called nothing more than Zipti Doodah. And he apologized for that. That was also itself a quite racist film. To my knowledge, he's never apologized for the Temple of Doom. He should. However, the first and the third movies I love. Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the 
biggest things right next to mixtapes that I love from the 1980s and growing up. The third movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, it is about the search for new life. It is about the quest for the Holy Grail. And that's what this fellow up here, the villain in the movie, thinks he is holding. He has searched for the grail, this quest for eternal life, new life for years. And so when he enters the place, the cave where the grail is held, he has to make a choice. There's a whole bunch of cups, a whole bunch of grails around. And he thinks he has found the most gleaming gold chalice that he can find. And he thinks this is fit for a king. This is fit as he would understand it for the king of kings. He thought this must be Jesus's cup and I'm going to drink from it in the water and drink it down. And I'm going to have eternal life and I'm never going to die. But and if you're scared by scary images, isn't that scary? But it's a little scary. So cover your eyes. Unfortunately, this is what happens to him. He has made a bad guess. <laughs> if you remember the movie, I, I love the way the movie, there's this aged, wizened knight, thousands of years old by this point, because he guards the grail, and so he's able to just live and live and live. And his comment after this guy takes the wrong grail and dies, he chose poorly. So next it's Indiana Jones's turn and there's something really on the line for him because his father has been shot and he knows he has to make the right choice. It's not just about his own life. He has to make the right choice of the grail. But Indiana Jones, unlike the villain, is not just a collector of objects that he uses for his own betterment. Indiana Jones is an archaeologist. He is a, a learner. He is someone who studies and has a broadened awareness. And so he knows when he picks his grail, it is not some idealized version of the grail. He knows enough to know that a first century, mostly rural, Palestinian Jewish rabbi is not drinking from any gold cups. He is drinking from a basic cup. And Indy guesses correctly, takes the water, and heals his father. He makes the best guess he can. Now, it's not by accident. Because let's remember that Indiana Jones is an archaeologist. Have you ever seen an archaeologist work? You know what they do is they identify the area where their treasure is, where the artifact is, with where what they want to find, where that is. And they stake it out, and then they get really, really intimate. They get really up close. They just don't go blasting things away. They get down into the trenches, down into the earth with their little picks and their little shovels and their little brushes, and they start getting to know what is there. It takes time. It is time-consuming. I think that's also one of the other reasons that sometimes we don't want to open up awareness with our lives is because it just takes too damn long, and we're so busy, and we got so much important stuff going on. We want to get stuff done. At that point, I'd just like us to take a cue from Homer Simpson's, one of my favorite antiheroes, who at one point when Homer is told, now starts the waiting game. And he waits like, like half a beat. He says, ah, the waiting game sucks. Let's play Hungry Hungry Hippos instead. <laughs> now, the thing is, is that Homer is not wise. <laughs> he does not make the best guesses. He is like, sadly, too often some of us. In which he just accumulates experience after experience after experience without understanding. Except he doesn't quite wonder what we might. Which is that we've tried all these new things. We've tried this new choice or that new practice. And yet we're still unsatisfied or we're still in pain and we're still struggling. 
I think if that's the case, then what we have not done is really stake out our ground and get to know it in the same way that an archaeologist gets to know the place where the treasure is buried, carefully, slowly, and opening gentle awareness with what is there. Because ultimately, if we do that, whether our particular resolution, whether the particular outcome that we want, whether it comes to pass or not, here's the thing. We will be able to deal with discouragement so much better. If we've lived, we failed. And I have failed. I would put my failures right up against yours any day of the week. If we lived, we failed. But if we're doing that failing and that falling from a place of open awareness, an open-hearted space, and we've got a strong intention that's deeper or bigger than any particular outcome, we know that failure's all right. That the practice may be challenged and challenging, but if it's grounded in that aware intention, we're going to keep giving ourselves permission to come back and back and back again to the reality of our own experience. And we won't just be collectors of that experience. We will be archaeologists of awareness. Gently, mindfully, lovingly getting in touch with what's here. And we will know that what actually we have on our hands is not a crusade. Our life has enough crusades, and certainly the world has enough religious crusades. I think we can be done with crusades. But instead, what we might have is a quest, a best quest project to truly know our lives. And we know one more thing as well, which is that we can't have a quest without having questions. So may all of us in this new year, my only wish for you really right now, is that we will make inquiries into our own lives. Get to know ourselves just a little bit better. Open up awareness and open up our hearts just a little bit more. So that we are good looking out and good looking in to who we are. Because ultimately that opens up space for us to receive other people's lives as well. This year, this 2013, may we all become curious. May we pay attention to our ows, (laughs) the things that hurt. And may we pay attention to our wows, the things that enliven us and make us wake up. Ultimately, everything is holy now. May we know that as the true and deep invitation to our growth that it is. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. May we be blessed in our unknowingness. May we be blessed in our insecurity. May we be blessed, O divine source, in the unfolding, unfinished spark, the light that never ends, that is right at the center of our lives. May we be blessed in this new year. Recognizing the end of our lives has not been written yet. May we be blessed by the invitation to grow and to flourish. To keep on making the most informed guesses we can about this dynamic, complex, painful and beautiful thing we call life. May we all be blessed. Amen.